name's Summer. Welcome to my channel. I am a choice mom to two little girls, Georgia and Autumn, and I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Jessica, <laughs> and she is also a choice mom. She and I were part of a similar group, the same group, um, who was all kind of thinking and trying to get pregnant at the same time. Her oldest and my oldest are about like six weeks apart. Actually, yeah, her only. She only has. Um, yeah, you're only. You're one and only. Yes. Um, so we were definitely like in the same phases at the same times. But one of the things that differs between us is I had my kids using an anonymous donor and she had her son using a known donor. And a lot of times I get questions about donors and how to pick donors and I don't even know if a lot of people really understand the ins and outs of using anonymous donor versus using a known donor, but I wanted to have this conversation today to just give you some ideas. So, Jessica, let's talk about it. All right, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, um, I actually know that you started out using an anonymous donor. So, how did you first start using an anonymous donor and then shift to using a known donor? Well, when I first started thinking about having a child on my own, I was doing a lot of YouTube research and I came across a video of Sarah. Sarah, <laughs> yes. Brokaw. Sarah Brokaw. And there were two things that really stuck with me about her story. And one was that she had used a known donor, and the second, um, that really kind of prompted my um, trying phase was that she could always adopt. You're only young and fertile once. Right. And so adoption was always possible, but if I wanted to have a child of my own, I was gonna need to get the train moving. Mm -hmm. So that sort of kick-started the entire process of thinking and trying. And I remember during my YouTube research, I um, came across a video from California Cryobank and uh, picking out donors and I was like, oh, I am not ready. <laughs> I am not ready for yeah. that at all. It was a little overwhelming. Um, but I decided to move forward in the trying phase using uh, an anonymous um, bank donor and really thought that that was the best option for me. But in my in the back of my head, I always had this idea of using a known donor. And I had sort of assembled a little list. It was, it was a short list mm -hmm. of men and friends that I knew um, that I thought, well, maybe I'll ask them. So I went through seven IUIs with a bank donor. And that was all with the same anonymous donor? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. And um, it was not happening fast enough for me. And so I got to sort of this end of this period of having seven IUIs. And I thought, you know what? I'm not happy with my care. Um, IUIs aren't working. Like, I just need a fresh restart on mm -hmm. this whole thing. So that's when I made the decision to move forward with IVF. And I thought, what the heck? I'll just have a couple of conversations and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Like the worst thing that, that could happen was these men would say no. Right. And 
So it's kind of like going on dates now. (laughs) (laughs) So did you ask more than one person to be your donor? I was prepared to. Okay. But the first person that I had asked um, was enthusiastic about it. And I really appreciated um, his response and the ensuing discussions that happened. Okay. Okay, so one of the things that I hear people talk about when they are considering using a known donor is that in their mind, they think it's going to be cheaper and faster than using an anonymous donor. So in your experience, was that accurate? So the short answer to that is no, it is not cheaper and it is not faster. I went into it kind of thinking the same thing. Okay. And um, my son's donor and I had um, a number of conversations and through those conversations is how we landed on having a legal agreement to formalize um, his role in my son's life and also to um, really work through and examine our intentions. So at least from my side, that, mm-hmm. that's what was really valuable in the process of going through the legal process. Um, Did you use an attorney that had experience drafting those types of legal agreements between... Okay, you did. Yes. How how do you find an attorney who can draft a legal agreement between um, a woman who's going to use the donation (laughs) and the known donor? Yes. So I asked around. I asked some questions and um, was referred to someone. They are a practicing family attorney. So my lawyer um, did adoptions um, and donor contracts all the time. Um, There are lots of other types of contracts around fertility, um, whether that's embryo adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, there is a lot of experience out there and I think it's just a matter of sort of knowing what field you want to ask ask for and I know I think that I know some other people who went through the known donor route and they also um, started with a family lawyer who didn't do it but was able to refer okay to another family lawyer who did so that's another route to go okay so could you ballpark how much time or what the cost was for going that route because I think I think people see like when you're ready to use a donor and you go on the website for a cryobank and you're kind of looking and then you might see, especially if you're starting with the IUI route and you need to purchase a number of vials, like a lot of people start out with five vials, they could be like $800 a piece. So people are thinking, oh my gosh, that's expensive. And they think like, well, I have this friend over here. (laughs) That would be a lot cheaper, that kind of thing. But... So would you, can you ballpark, because it's different expenses, right? Like the donation is the free part, but there are other pieces around it that incur costs, right? Costs both in the time that it takes to do it and the cost of the attorneys and et cetera. So I break the cost down into kind of three groups. So one is the cost of time, which um, you can't get back. The second cost would be around the the legal agreement, um, which was significant. Well, it wasn't too it wasn't too bad, um, 
And then the third bucket of costs would be around the, the donation and the process mm -hmm. of acquiring the samples, mm -hmm. the sperm samples. Yeah. That's what they're called. <laughs> I did that. I think that's kind of funny that they're called samples. Yes. So, <laughs> like sample, is there a whole thing? This is just a little bit? Um, okay, so those are the three buckets of cost that I would put it put it in. So time, I'm going to ballpark it. It's hard to remember now. It's been like four years. Um, I would say time is about um, four to five months. Yep. I would say that it took us to kind of work back and forth with lawyers. And he had a lawyer on his end that mm -hmm. was also reviewing the paperwork. And the, the second bucket is around the legal fees. So that was about 1500 to about $2,000. And ours was really straightforward too. Okay. We, we both had agreed. We didn't have a lot of reworking on um, versions or things like that. So um, once that legal contract was in place, then we proceeded with the third bucket of cost, which was a really around collecting the samples and the sperm samples. Yes. <laughs> that's what they're called and um, facilitating that and that was a the biggest um, effort and okay. cost around doing that just because there were banks involved and there's a lot of requirements that the banks have in place yes. for this type of donation yes so there's testing there's time, time yeah because they to my understanding um, they test the person. It's very important for the person to be disease free, to be healthy. Like they're really ensuring through multiple steps that the person that's providing the donation is providing clean, healthy sample because they're also protecting your health yeah. because it is a bodily fluid. And if there is anything that's impure, I'll call it in this bodily fluid by utilizing, yeah. you know, mixing that with your body it can very much impact your health so it's very precise in the testing and the process that you have to go through to ensure that it's okay yeah to use. yeah and and i think that took the largest uh, that that took the a big bucket of time as well because it was coordinating with my doctor's office um the sperm bank um the donor since he um, didn't live in a, the same location as where the bank was. There were travel costs mm -hmm. associated with that. And then also um, the types of testing that um, I wanted done. So I ended up doing uh, genetic testing for myself mm -hmm. to make sure I wasn't carriers of anything. And then that was another aspect of negotiation in the testing was did I want him to have genetic testing as okay. well. But because I wasn't a carrier, my doctor didn't necessarily Require recommend that. Yeah. Um, that he have to go through the genetic testing as well. Because uh -huh. there was really a very low risk of um, genetic disease or, right. or um, in, uh, serious, serious genetic yeah. diseases that could be tried. Right. So that was so that took a lot of time and coordination. So I remember at one point I counted out that I was coordinating time and money between the sperm bank lab, the sperm bank corporate headquarters, mm. my doctor, the lab here where I live, and then 
my donor and myself. And I was like, there are like six people. And this is before Zoom conference calls. So I couldn't necessarily get everybody in the room at the same time. And one of the things that you had told me earlier was in terms of not starting out with a known donor was because when you decided that you were ready to try, you were ready to try. And because that's a huge emotional um, hurdle to overcome, right? Like, I don't think that many people just arrive to their decision um, to try to have a baby on their own or just like, this is the thing to do, yeah, let's go. Like, it, it, it typically entails a large amount of thought and really soul searching. And once you arrive at that decision, like you had said to me earlier, like you were ready to go and you weren't necessarily ready to then take on the emotional burden of coordinating all yeah. of these different things that you're talking about. So it, it sounds like for you that the, the space in between all the different IUIs and moving to IVF is the space where you, where you kind of stepped back recalibrated, took a look at, okay, what do I really want? I'm, I'm already not exactly succeeding. I'm not getting pregnant doing this route that I have initially chosen, which is the anonymous donor and the IUI. So you really kind of changed your approach. Like, okay, I'm going to do IVF. And then now, because you had a little bit of distance between the emotional decision to actually start trying that you had more bandwidth to go through this whole process of asking the guy to help you going, you know, coordinating the legal aspect and then all of this other stuff that you were talking about. I think it would have been a lot right off the bat to go through the process of um, the emotional process of deciding to become a choice mom and doing all of these other things right to and this that. this includes the first guy that you asked said yes yes so that's not even <laughs> was, like yes I mean like if he said no and then the next guy said no like then it's even multiplying yes the amount of um emotional hurdles that you're going through in this process yeah definitely well said okay. thank yes. you <laughs> and then also because you because by the time you integrated a known donor you were doing IVF when you do IVF you need much less sample because they're literally taking one sperm one egg doing the in vitro for however many eggs yeah. that they retrieve during the retrieval process so you it's not like if you're doing IUI you could easily need six donations from the person as opposed to the process that you went through because it was IVF you only needed yeah. one right yeah yes <sighs> <sighs> this is some work <laughs> so you identified the person that you wanted to be your donor mm-hmm. you navigated that legally you coordinated the physicality mm-hmm. of obtaining yes. said sample and, and then I never you- saw it <laughs> I never saw it. I know. I don't I don't think that's what it goes direct to the doctor, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> like, dear person, thank you for the shipment. <laughs> One thing that I did want to add is I had um actually talked with my doctor too, just out of curiosity. I asked her, Hey, do you facilitate this often? Mm. And she was like, Oh yeah, all the time. And that sort of surprised me because I mm. felt very um, 
alone okay. and discovering each step of the process that needed to happen. Oh, like okay. I didn't find anyone who had done it the same way that I did to okay. like, okay, these are the steps that I take. This is how it works. Yeah. And um, so it was surprising to me when the doctor was like, yeah, happens all the time. Right. And I was like, but I do want to add that I know that it's done all the time, but I hear a lot of people trying to skirt the rules. Mm -hmm. So I hear, I, I know people who they claim to be a couple, they, because if the if the man is not your partner, and it doesn't have to be married, it could be boyfriend or whatever, if there's a different set of regulations that you have to go through if you are in a relationship versus if this person is not in a relationship. But that's really important because it has to do with the legal obligations of the donor to your child. And I feel like you really did a thorough and methodical approach that you really protected both yourself as a choice mom because Jessica doesn't want to have issues down the road if somebody changes their mind or wants to be involved. Like she has thoroughly protected herself and her son from the donor changing his mind and trying to insert himself in some manner in the situation or in the event that he would try to do that. And when people try to go around the rules and the regulations, they really leave themselves open to having to navigate legal challenges down the road when it comes to custody. But it also could just be an emotional situation that you, an, another layer that you would have to navigate. And I think that the point of going through all of this is just so that you can be your choice mom, have your baby, and kind of like you guys are the family unit. And the idea is not necessarily to have this other person be like this appendage to the family unit um, so that the more clear you can set the boundaries, I think the better. Yes. And I will have to say that um, my feelings about, or I shouldn't, my, my feelings about what I wanted out of a known donor mm -hmm. definitely have evolved from asking him and then through raising a little really? boy. How and, so? That's juicy. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, I would say at the beginning of the process, like when I wanted to use a known donor, I was much more like, okay. It would be um, nice to be able to say, okay, this is this is your donor when my son's grown up. Okay. Right? And now I kind of feel like that would be not, it's not as important to me anymore. Okay. And um, so. I, I think that is very common. The set of expectations that you start out with as somebody who's um, choosing to be a choice mom things will change. Things will yes. change in ways that you hadn't expected. And what is super important to you when you start out with, as you're navigating, I mean, we have three-year-olds now. You're up to here in just raising your child and just trying to... Sleep? Yeah, trying to sleep, <laughs> trying to get them to be decent humans, to wipe their own knees, And you just... Yes. Some of the concerns that you have going in just really fade away. 
Yes, they do. I think that's a great way of saying it, of that set of expectations have evolved. Yeah. And going through the legal process was a big part of them evolving. Um, and then just having a child, that has evolved them as well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have done it any other way because I've got my little boy yeah. out of it. I think that if I had used a bank donor, I it would be just as great as it is now. So it 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 took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's fabulous. It's great. I love my little boy. It was well worth all of it. Aww. So what advice, if any, do you have for people out there who are weighing out using an anonymous donor versus going down the known donor route? What advice do you have? My advice would be to ask yourself the five whys. And you may or may not have heard of that, but really examine yourself deeply on why are you going down the known donor route. And it's a series of questions you ask yourself. Why, you make a statement, you say why, you answer the question, and then examine why that is. You kind of go through these five stages of of why to really uncover your reason okay. behind, behind using Have you seen other people use a known donor and have it entail challenges that you did not want to address? Yes. Okay, what were those? Tell me about that. Um, well, this is sort of anecdotal, but where She's trying not I to identify no. information. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about cost. Okay. Because I think that was a big question on my mind of sort of like what to expect when you're going through this. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out a figure. Okay. Okay. Eight thousand dollars. And if it doesn't cost that much, you'll be grateful and you can spend it on your baby. Right. Putting that number out there, I do so just to give you a ballpark on what to expect. Um, that doesn't really encompass the time aspect of it, right. but depending on the type of care that you're getting, um, the route you're going through getting pregnant, um, getting pregnant um, there's a lot of variant variables that could happen through your journey, and that's just sort of a ballpark figure out there. <laughs> Hi, buddy! <laughs> <laughs>